0: Hello and welcome to this the 20th episode of Sonic Sketchbooks. I’m your host Gary Warner. In this episode, I’m in conversation with Melbourne artists Sonia Lieber and David Chesworth, who create compelling audiovisual installations using video, sound, architecture, objects, and recorded performance. Their works are products of detailed interrogatory research, speculation and conjecture often arising in the context of artist residency programs which they've participated in in various parts of the world, including the UK and Russia. In 2015, the late, hugely influential, Nigerian-born contemporary art curator and writer, Okwi Enwazor, selected their work Zalm Tractor for inclusion in his personally curated component of the 56th Venice Biennale, All the World's Futures just one of the many significant contemporary art expositions in which they've exhibited. In this conversation with the artists in their Melbourne home and me in my Sydney studio, we discussed just three projects from their impressive back catalogue of work. And as usual, I began by asking about an experience or moment in time when sound became important or central to the artist's life and practice. The sediment is waiting.
1: Thanks for inviting us, Gary. Uh, Very pleased to be here chatting with you um, again, uh, as we've connected so many times over the years. When I think about sound, where it all came from, where the interest comes from for me, it's it's really just that crusty old period of the 1980s. You know, where so much um, was happening in Melbourne, where we come from. There was the tail end of the Clifton Hill Community Music Centre that David was um, helping to run, and I was very involved in the film community. You know, in building up a project, you get to see what sound can do in shaping the project.
2: My earliest memory of sound was. Probably being um, very aware when I was a young child of uh, just sleeping at home or trying to go to sleep. But I, was, <laughs> I actually stayed awake lots of times because I, I was just so intrigued with sounds. And we had a church near us once a week used to go on bell ringing practice with all these permutations and combinations. But then the wind would howl around the house and the the cistern, the hot water service, would make strange sort of sounds at night, which just scared me no end. You know, the sounds were like ghosts in some sense. Um, I mean, the words is acousmatic presences. So I was was just... uh, I could... Couldn't possibly go to sleep because just, I was I was just clinging on to so many events and things. Once you know that the world that we understood had calmed down, all these other things kind of took over. So um, it was really very early for me. Um, and perhaps just the other thing to say is my parents had a piano, and while they didn't couldn't really afford lessons for me, um, I did start exploring that. And my 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 mum said I used to just endlessly thump um, chords. <laughs> and not change those chords, and I was kind of... I think I was into a sort of a minimalism very early when I was just <laughs> intrigued with all the harm and harmonics of uh, of sounds.
0: That's really interesting, that sort of phenomenological connection to sound at an early age. When when do you think that that turned into something where you wanted to kind of capture and hold those sounds?
2: That's an interesting, uh, yeah, question I haven't asked myself that. Why? W- yeah, because why would you want to, you know? Why do you think... I guess um, I basically just wanted to be an artist without even knowing that. And I think there was just this sense of wanting to to capture and frame things and and, and point to things that, that interested me. So uh, yeah, it became sort of an artistic pursuit even before I knew I knew that that's what I was. I, I was really late before I admitted I was a composer or an artist. I used to just consider that I'd played around with things. So I was always interested in the performance of sound and how and music and how they sat in the world. These days, I can say, I think music is a subset of, of the sound world that interests me.
0: In your shared sort of video installation art projects, there's often this sort of performative presence of the recordist or the performative presence of the device.
1: One of our latest projects um, is a good example of that, What Listening Knows, where we send um, people out into the field, literally, with recording devices, and we watch them as they're making recordings. So we've never quite been so explicit about it, about that, but we were very interested in the fact that as soon as you see people making a recording, as an audience member, you start listening more.
2: in What Listening Knows is it a soundscape or is it a soundtrack you know a soundtrack is a collection of events that you can relate to the objects but a soundscape can actually create its own world and the way Sonia's filmed that work is in a um, what we call a non-ocular way do you want to speak to that yeah
1: work came out of a residency so we were in a place which was Wiltshire in the southwest of the UK and we were making a work for a future gallery presentation in that space and and the idea was that maybe the camera could be driven not so much by what the eye sees but by what you hear and what we do with a microphone Is kinesthetically different to what you might do with a camera. For instance with a camera you keep level generally and you try and move slowly and steadily. We thought what if we use the camera as, as if we were using a microphone which meant that you could take it as a device hold it at arm's length and slowly twist and tilt it and shift it, plunge it into various bits of the environment, flip it out into the sky and see what we can bring to the kind of cinematic method of gathering imagery that's influenced by the method we use for gathering sound.
0: this is your phrase uh, vision imbued with an acoustic consciousness
2: yeah a microphone is like a finger pointing and drawing attention to and and it's a framing device of course the person listening with the microphone is having quite a different experience to the person without a microphone and headphones who's who's hearing in the real world and that kind of thing but i think we're interested in the differences and juxtapositions between a a visual consciousness an ocular consciousness and a and a a sound consciousness that inform that informs the making and also informs the listening so that the sounds are sometimes musical sometimes there's a phenomenological aspect to them because that you hear you don't know their source and cause so they're, they're a bit abstract but then you think you do and so there's this shift of trying to associate the sounds with you know meaning i guess as artists You know, to confess that we want to make something that has um, a certain sort of aesthetic, and that doesn't always mean pleasurable aesthetics. It means, though, like affecting kind of um, presences. There's a a push and a pull and a tug, and, you know, there's different things that, you know, each other want to express in something, and a lot of discussion, um, sort of, you know, the consciousness of the artist is actually um, a bit schizophrenic in, in this. (laughs)
1: And, <laughs> I, yeah. I was thinking of the word oscillation actually yeah. <laughs> in particular there's an oscillation between what's happening visually and sonically so um you you might say that um the sonic is always undermining or making more complex or questioning um you know what we're seeing For instance, in Zalm Tractor. It's quite funny going back to that project and having a look after, you know, having made it, um, you know, around uh, 2012 or something like that. And uh, again, it came out of another residency we did in Russia. We take what we we see in front of us and mess with it in a number of different ways. For instance, in the, in the subterranean walkway, you're seeing people in the 21st century walking um, in modern Russia and and they're walking past these murals from uh, Soviet Russia where everyone's very formal. So you're seeing two versions of public space. You're seeing kind of the fluidity of people walking in in present time. You're seeing the fixed kind of arrangements of people formally arranged in, in the murals. And then on top of that, you've got this wacky sound that um, David might choose to <laughs> describe. <laughs>
2: sound varies from something that's quite musical to um something that's musically abstract
1: in that particular scene
2: yeah well I'm ju- i don't well i isn't guess that the, the point... kind
1: of the solaris kind of isn't that the thing well the, <laughs> there's that yes it, it
2: was al- it does allude to those kind yeah. of soundtracks that well were, it's like
1: kind of a science fiction kind of soundtrack yeah. there are there are three time frames that kind of Coexist, so there's kind of an oscillation in in that scene between the three time frames
2: there's also like a misperformance or a kind of like discovering the instrument as you perform it and so in that case they were very sort of improvisatory you know kind of creating ambiguity and exploring uncertainties to see where they lead us another term that i would use is is that of antonomic framings a kind of two framings that are equally valid but they sort of conflict and so often that happens between the visual and and the sonic but often it can happen within the sonic and within the visual as well and I think we really enjoy that Um, from my point of view it's the you know I think that's part of our consciousness where we forever um, resolving that behind the scenes with our different senses Humans can become quite unstuck when you know expectations are derailed, as in artworks.
0: Оставь от места твой чарный горит як міста, диван место. міста, о, маре. You were talking just before about you know grabbing these uh, these things happening in the field, things that you find that are going on in the culture that you're a resident in for the, for that time. But at the same time, you're kind of meeting artists and constructing these performative events that are quite complex in their own
1: right. We framed that project at the outset around the performance poetry of the futurists, who were mainly operating in the early half of the 20th century, are more well known in terms of their visual art, but they also did a pure kind of sonic verbal expression called zaum, Zaum, which means beyond the mind. Fragmentary nonsense poetry. That's the, that. The whole intention is to avoid meaning and listen to a pure expressivity of the voice. So we love the fact that this is such a an interesting thing to have happened around the turn of the century, where things were really changing in Russia, and we were there exactly a hundred years later um, for our residency. Um, so that kind of co relationship was really. Appealing to us,
2: and I could pick up on that as well. So zaum and tractor represent the two opposing poles. So zaum is this free um, personal expression, and the tractor represents the collective collectivism and the um, um, collective nature of, of communism. And of course, the tractor very important in Russian um, agriculture when it was um, introduced. And so yeah, a lot of these settings of zaum poetry. Uh, were placed against constructivist buildings, which um, and constructivist buildings redolent with symbolism and meaning, and um, whereas the Zaum, it kind of it was anti that, and in a sense it pointed to the, the the role of you know the individual versus the state in Russia and um, how that has always been kind of an issue in prior to communism, in communism, and post communism. And, and it was know, surprising.
1: It's amazingly easy to actually set individuals up in these kind of yeah. grand formal public spaces in Russia, and you know film them over several hours um, without any you know official sanctions or without it without filling in any paperwork and all that. It, so we, we, we got more and more confident that we could sort of drag all these people into public spaces and re, really sort of reclaim Zaum in a way, um, because it, it, we found that, that Zaum had largely been forgotten. Most people we spoke with had never heard of it and they were really excited to learn one or two or two of those poems, very short poems, to perform for us. Soil off. Tsungi uvel Плыл ты
0: Реба горит, темнит тление. Мойтесь, молитесь, он не умер. Чебрец, трава, дух. Угасли очи, разносплетение. Не победит жизнь. Who were the people? I mean, were they were they poets? Were they artists? Were they workers? All of these things.
1: We were in a city in southern Russia that didn't have much of a visual art scene, so we connected with um, one awesome theatre director who. <laughs> was a great pipeline um to a whole lot of actors in town. So that that was really terrific. But I was gonna say the um performance of Zalm, um, the way you perform Zalm is really up for grabs because yeah. there's not a lot of it recorded at all. So that that's kind of a you know, bit of a freedom for us. And I, I was kind of lucky um that I, I come from a Slovenian background. So I, I already had an ear for Slavic languages. And while I couldn't actually speak Russian, I, I, I could actually follow what they were saying. So that that was, you know, re- really really comforting you know that was good good
2: um i just got to talk about this piece because i really like it it's the it's when the two barges um are kind of crossing each other and that whole pace there and we hear the rite of spring um
1: in zalm tractor in
2: zalm tractor victory over the sun uh two kind of you know very significant uh pieces and they were written 100 years prior and um they were both kind of you know very significant works but they were in opposition so um the rite of spring was about celebrating uh the pagan rebirth basically in in russia the sun is kind of the massive kind of symbol of of you know mother earth and its nourishment and all that and uh, and of course victory over the sun that was written the same year uh was against the um all that pagan ritual and 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 the russian sort of history and it was about a new kind of language uh, and defeating uh, the sun and uh, you know the the two for a brief period of time, we're, we're, were kind of, you know, oppositional forces. So, yeah, Victory Over the Sun um, is this futurist opera. Basically, uh, most of the music's been lost to us, but the opening part of it was written by uh, Mayakovsky. And um, he also became a transitional figure because he was a futurist and uh, kind of very individualistic, but he ended up becoming almost the official communist poet in his later life he kind of he was very much like you know an everyman but he sort of dragged everyman into communism in in some regard and that cutaway that we do to the record player was actually in um, a place where mayakovsky once performed and so there's a whole lot of other significance in, in there too which is kind of lost to the audience but it was incredibly amazing because a person gave us access to that space which hasn't been Knocked down for, because I think it's too expensive to redevelop or something. So um, anyway, it's a, a it's just a minor aside. All this, I suppose. Oh no,
1: it's no, a uh, really lengthy aside, actually. I had wondered
0: what the <laughs> what the record was. <laughs> final scene with the church bells being formed, the last kind of scene of the bell ringing is that muting yeah. of the bells and the sound of the kind of mechanical sounds without the bells. And I was just, I, I, I watched it, I was kind of thought this is extraordinary. And I just wanted to ask how you did it. How could you, how could you get rid of the bells?
1: <laughs> it kind of arose from a problem we had finishing up the piece. Um, we, we didn't really want a heroic ending, even though we were seeing the church bells ringing.
2: Now, the Russian church bells are um, very interesting because they, uh, each church takes their bells very uh, seriously and they all have kind of different sets and they have bell ringers who pride themselves on how good ring- a ringer they are. And that particular ringer you saw from, from the, the you know, from the ground looking up it was extraordinary. He was like uh, playing, yeah, these black polyrhythms and things. And um, uh, uh, the bells are seen as icons. And if you can hear the bell, you are actually within the presence of the icon. So you have direct, uh, it's a direct conduit to to, uh, to God. So they have a, a greater significance than they do in the West in, in, in that sense. It struck me, I wanted to take the bells out because of the kind of um, material that Sonia was introducing was a lot of the sort of mechanical, you know, work ethic type of stuff from uh, Eisenstein and the machines and the and the power and all that. And, of course, you strip away the <laughs> the the beauty of the bells and you're left with, with these sort of mechanical kind of aspect of religion, you know, you, you could say.
1: What like, you're saying... Uh, it, it, it's like a loom almost. You know, there are strings that get directed um, across these kind of pivot points and then they're finally attached to bells and the priest can hold, you know, five or ten or more cables in one hand and a similar number in the other hand and actually manipulate the whole lot of bells with, with two hands. And all that kind of tracing of cabling looks like industry you know so it it looks like something out of the industrial revolution and Mm. i guess what we did stripping out the sounds of the bells um meant that we had to put in an imagined sound of what it all was
2: i was wasn't sure whether to go down that path to be honest but it was it just couldn't resist it because it was so tactile what they were doing and so hands-on and um, and we basically, uh, yeah, just did a uh, kind of a foley.
0: I'll go across to uh, the lakes project now. What do you call it?
1: Where lakes once had water.
2: Yeah, it's a big video work. So it's kind of where do we dive in because this is, mm. we're here, we're talking about sound.
0: You <laughs> are mandaj palawa endro luru po kona Lurpuna inge ndara kade bodara na moranga palawa pan, pan 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 gari mora nyungenya Pangalangora Nanyangora I'm kind of interested in um, your ideas about using all these different sonic gathering devices inside and outside of our hearing.
1: This project meant that we were able to follow some earth scientists into the Northern Territory. They were looking for when Australia was wet, when Australia was dry. And they were looking for evidence in the sediments. They were capturing these long tubes of sediments that they would then take back and analyze in the laboratory or in the university. And while they were there, there were indigenous people everywhere we went that were working in tandem with the scientists. And there were some indigenous scientists as well and some indigenous rangers and us. So there there was quite a coterie of people wherever we went. And in terms of creating the soundtrack for this piece, it it was quite interesting to use sound to hint at the unseen forces in the environment.
0: Follow the data.
1: The the project was quite challenging because the scientists were thinking about long time frames up to, you know, the, the, the last Ice Age cycle. Then there were Indigenous people that were revealing aspects of the landscape and also sensing the landscape in different ways and allowing us in on their experiences of the landscape the scientists we were quite surprised that the scientists were also alive with this kind of sensing of the of the, the landscape as well
2: and then we're there as artists and so we've got our um, you know we're all translators um and, and that's all the human can ever attempt to be you know and there seems to be this desperate urge for us humans to translate to know you know, we have our inner selves, but to know the outer world and to somehow know it and say what it is. And um, that was, you know, and it was brought out in these like three different ways.
1: So capturing sound became really interesting for us because we thought, well, why don't we bring a whole arsenal of microphones, not just ordinary microphones, but hydrophones so we can get into the water, contact microphones that we can actually place on things and record movement, or even just the idea of placing them on things, imagining what there might be inside. And then uh, transducers that pick up um, electromagnetic signals. So in a sense, what we tried to do with the soundtrack was reveal a diversity of acoustic phenomena that come from a, a number of different ways of sensing. So human sensing, animal sensing, um, different ontologies, different ways of thinking about the world,
2: including the electromagnetic spectrum of um, the uh, machinery and um, um, equipment listening into you know aspects of the soil, and um, the equipment used to extract as well. So we're kind of sensing as much of of the. Uh, sort of the sonic, electromagnetic byproduct of of the effort, and then we were able to sort of sonify that in different ways. But which, and of course, acutely aware that we're translating, we're turning something that's one thing into another. In a sense, the scientists were playing the Earth. You know, they were hammering it and throwing picks at it and uh, dropping things in. And there's a kind of a listening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, the earth is a globe that we're sonifying, you know, and so I can't, I guess the, the the soundtrack sort of helps with that sonifying.
1: Yeah, what what you're saying sort of makes me think that on the one hand what we're hearing are all the sounds of human effort. So, you know, the the, the chink, 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 chink of hammering the core and... Uh, various other um, sieving of soils, for instance, so the shaking um, of, of the, the grill to, to sieve the soil by the, the Earth scientists, they're kind of sounds that are generated by humans. They exemplify their desire you know, as, to come to know the world. That's one bunch of sounds that are in there. Then there's this other bunch of sounds that are the, the forces. the the unseen forces, the wind forces, the earth forces, the environment forces.
0: Follow the lake. For me, it's so active, constantly, continually active and changing, and with those kind of anchor points. So Beck plexus. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah.
1: That's number three. So the the the, the third kind of layer in there.
2: Yeah, so using Beck. Interesting. We were interested in how when there were scientists uh, scampering up the hill and uh, when we filmed them and, and looked back at what they were doing and the way they're being filmed, they were like these kind of insects who are going, going about their business. Um, it, it became apparent um, to us that the birds might find them a bit weird too like and then we thought well what if somebody you know if there's a voice and of course the voice can guide to some degree and and posit questions but we wanted this voice to be from somewhere that you couldn't quite define where it's from and so it's like someone had come in from another planet and was trying to work out what everyone was up to.
0: Follow the data.
1: Make the measurement. One meter.
0: Ten meters. The signal. Cycles. Forces.
2: We did that in um, the piece for the Sydney Biennale. We used a a kind of a voice like that, uh, that was uh, kind of treated. And um, you're not sure if it's gender and um, it's You know, sometimes you're not sure how much authority you should, uh, you know, bestow upon the voice. Like, is it playing, being playful, or is this serious? You know, yeah, there's a voiceover, but it's sort of slightly problematized. In, in, you're not sure what, (laughs) what its intentions are.
1: Well, when I think about that voice, I think about humans not being the top of the hierarchy. Just to put it simply, like it's, it's kind of a non-human voice. So it could be a bird, it could be an animal, it could be an unknown entity.
2: And Beck's extraordinary performance. She did so many versions of these things. And so she was, she's a natural performer. She, she was visiting us from Amsterdam and um, visiting Melbourne and hooked up with us through music. And her performances were so varied that we, you know, had so many options to play with. And it just became, um, you know, how much of her do we put in? How much do we leave out? And so that became a compositional sort of, um, mm. yeah, decision.
0: Larrakia Ranges, where was the Larrakia uh, country that you were that, working
1: on? Well, the lagoon, um, Girraween Lagoon, is 30 kilometres out of Darwin. So it's on mm. the edge of kind of the built environment. It's an inland lake, pretty much a circle, and it's very, very deep, and it's been continuously there. So it's just been collecting sediment for you know, thousands upon thousands of years a record of, of Australia's climate history.
2: One of them was describing to it says, it's like a huge tape recorder. There's no stream uh, river in or river out. So it's kind of fed by groundwater and, and surface water. And so the sediments just neatly piled on top of each other. And uh, they can tell by, yeah, charcoal and pollen, uh, what sort of species were growing and who, when people arrived and how they used the area over you know thousands and thousands of years, you know, oh, they know the
1: deposition we, the, history, yeah,
2: the deposition history. They yes. that they can work that out, <laughs> we
1: just go down, we're at 1.1, like we've got enough length. I guess you just top, the, yeah, top the, get top rid of the top or but, the bottom, yeah, yeah exactly. Work the earth, charcoal nodules, charcoal nodules, mm. but they look
0: like
2: you need sediments that haven't been exposed know.
0: to the light. Always working.
1: Yeah, I mean, the modelling starts a little bit, and then
0: it, you know... Onwards.
2: That's the little um, babble section where we actually release the sound of scientists. Because right. they're so noisy. I like it. They were so inquisitive, you know, so we just released a bit of that at that section. Um, Questions and answers
0: about country scientific explanations is what I've got here. And a,
2: quite a new thing with the CARBA research was in, in integrating with um, Indigenous knowledge.
1: You you will be getting a um, one of the new publications. Oh, um, I'd love to see the catalog yeah. for sure, yeah. And abundant on trust of the publishers so we we creep along with all these things but eventually we get there you know
0: (laughs) look you've got an incredible um that catalog
1: i was going to say thank you gary for being such a good listener yeah because um we we do appreciate an attentive yeah listener attentive viewers
0: Big thanks to Sonia and David for their time and conversation about their projects. The three works discussed here were What Listening Knows, Zalm Tractor and Where Lakes Once Had Water. You can find links to their website and their Vimeo channel where you can view excerpts from their installation projects at the Sonic Sketchbooks episode guide, sonicsketchbooks.net. Just look for episode 20. Sonic Sketchbooks is supported by the New South Wales government through a small projects grant from Create New South Wales.